On March 16, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamine, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeart Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Billions of dollars in damages. And do you believe that the LAPD has tried to cover this up? I believe the leadership at the time that this occurred uh, took, went to great lengths to cover up and keep evidence away from uh, the district attorney's office and the FBI. Over the years, officers Perez and Mack have repeatedly said they had no involvement in the murder. The LAPD says it can't comment since the case is still under investigation, and sources tell us criminal investigators are now following up new leads in this 14-year murder investigation that so far has come up empty. Previously on the dossier. Yeah, I mean, I think it's staggering that instead of looking into information, they were suppressing it. That's exactly right. And see, that's why Russ Poole became an object in the roadway that needed to be derailed and moved out of the way. And so Russ, bless his soul, I'm not saying that he's right. I'm not saying that the guy he said killed the guy is the right guy. That's not the point. The point is that when you take away the freedom to pursue justice, the first victim is justice. You are now listening to Episode 7 of The Dossier. Phil Carson, The LA Times, and journalist Chuck Phillips. In any cover-up, a tool often used is the media. In Los Angeles in the early 2000s, The LA Times was the paper of record. They covered every aspect of the murder of Biggie. The police investigation, the civil trial, and finally, Phil Carson's FBI investigation. But what if I told you that a journalist for the LA Times printed in upwards of 10 major stories that were factually wrong and out and out lies? The next piece of the story, you could argue, is one of the most vital aspects of the story of the murder of Biggie that I don't think a lot of people are even aware of. And to set it up is while you are doing your widespread investigation and getting all of this information and now starting to run serious operations, there is a journalist at the LA Times named Chuck Phillips. Yes. Pulitzer Prize winning journalist who had written many, many articles in regards to the music industry. He became obsessed with hip-hop music, culture, Suge Knight, Death Row, Puffy, all of the players that swirl in this world. Deputy Chief Burko takes Mora and Sambar off of the Biggie case. At the exact time, I start getting phone calls from Chuck Phillips of the LA Times. Now understand, I've never heard of Chuck Phillips I've never seen Chuck Phillips. I've never talked to Chuck Phillips. I don't know who the fuck Chuck Phillips is other than he's calling me all the time. We had pagers back then. He's paging me all the time. And when he would leave a voicemail at my desk, I would always go to 
our attorneys, my bosses, our press information people and say, hey, this guy Chuck Phillips from the L.A. Times is calling me and he wants to talk to me about the feds and, and the ongoing Biggie Smalls investigation. And he's heard that we're doing an investigation. He just wants to kind of talk to me. And I haven't responded to him at all. The problem is, is this guy's relentless. He keeps calling and calling and calling. I meet with our press information to people. And finally, we have somebody from the press information department that says, you know what, Phil, I'm going to reach out to, to Chuck Phillips and tell him you pass this on to me and I'll try to answer what she can for him just to kind of like keep him at bay, and just keep him happy and have him quit bothering me. So Kathy Veray was the person, awesome agent, super helpful, very knowledgeable. She does a great job dealing with Chuck Phillips. Chuck Phillips ain't buying it. One day he calls me and it was from a different phone. I picked it up and it was Chuck Phillips. First time I'd ever heard his voice before. I said, Chuck, look, I appreciate your aggressiveness in wanting to talk to me and take me out to lunch and find out, you know, if we have a biggie case going on and if so, where we stand on things. But you know, I can't talk about this. It's not a matter of whether I want to or not. I can't. I'm not allowed to. And he's like, I don't care. I want to know what's going on. So I pass him on to Kathy Veray again. Over several conversations, emails and things like that, Chuck Phillips finally decides, you know what? Agent Carson's either going to talk to me and meet with me or I'm going to write an article that's going to ruin this guy. I'm like, what the fuck? I haven't done anything wrong. I haven't done anything to you, Chuck. What, what, what's your grudge against me? He's not buying it at all. And I'm going like, Something, something's not adding up here. This is just odd. Kathy, at the direction of our assistant director, go meet with Chuck Phillips like at 11 o'clock at night in the middle of the week, back in the corner of some bar. I mean, this is kind of something out of a movie, you would think. Because Chuck has said, like, either Agent Carson meets with me or I'm ruining this guy, like, you know, next week, front page of the L.A. Times. And he's already written articles, dragged this case through the mud. So they meet with him. I get a call then at like about an hour later around midnight. Kathy goes, well, the good news is we met with Chuck Phillips. Bad news is he doesn't care what we have to say. He's going to ruin you in an upcoming article. It's going to ruin this case and it's going to ruin your career. I'm I'm getting, I'm pretty stressed out at this time. It's like, I can't accept this. I mean, we, something's got to be done. So I call Chuck Phillips' home phone number. Goes to an answering machine, leave a message saying, hey, you know, I understand you just met with, uh, you know, a couple agents. Um, I don't appreciate the fact that you're going to drag my name through the mud. And I'd like an opportunity now to meet with you so you can actually put a face with a name and you're going to be ruining, you know, an agent's career. And I, and I don't appreciate it. I get a call back from Chuck 20 minutes later. He said he was in the shower. He goes, oh, this is a phone call I didn't expect to get. I said, well, I didn't expect it to get to this point. I expected to you to have a little bit of respect that I'm following protocols that I can't talk with you, Chuck. And I said, you know what? I understand this is what you're going to do. I'd like to maybe sit down with you then and at least meet with you face to face. So maybe you'll have a second, you know, a, a, another heart to maybe consider not doing this article. And he goes, okay, how about tomorrow morning, you know, like 6 a.m.? There was a coffee shop that was just down the street from where the L.A. Times office was. I said, okay, fine. Did you believe in your heart at that moment that this man could probably print anything he wanted in the L.A. Times, true or not true? Yes. After the whole Psycho Mike operation happened, I got a phone call 
from Perry Sanders. This was on like a Saturday, it was a Saturday or Sunday morning because I remember it was on the weekend. I was getting ready to go to the gym. Perry called me up. He's livid. He's like, I can't fucking believe what you did. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about, Perry. And he goes, did you read the article in the paper this morning? I'm like, no, I, what are you talking about? I have no idea. He goes, read the article. Chuck Phillips just dimed out Psycho Mike in an article and dimed out your operation against Amir Muhammad. While Chuck Phillips is demanding Phil sit with him and go on the record for the LA Times, Phillips has already written a number of articles. This article that Phil is talking about crossed the line. It puts Psycho Mike's life in danger and it was printed in the paper of record. I go get a newspaper. I read the article. Chuck Phillips specific, and I I have a copy of the article. I mean, you can pull it up on the internet. It talks specifically how the FBI, I don't believe it names me by name, but that we wired up confidential informant named Michael Robinson, gave his real name, who goes by the moniker Psycho Mike, to meet with Amir Muhammad to try to elicit information. And it also states in that article that the FBI was in the process of conducting a full financial analysis on Amir Muhammad, was doing a complete telephone analysis on Amir Muhammad, and had been doing surveillance on Amir Muhammad. Now, nobody from the LA Times knows about this. This isn't rocket science, man. There's one person that I am briefing. It's Deputy Chief Burko, period. It's non-negotiable. He's the only person that's getting briefed on this. So, of course, I'm thinking, and I tell my bosses, Chuck Phillips is getting this information from LAPD. He's not getting it from the FBI. Why would the FBI provide this information and undercut our own sources and undercut our own investigation? Deputy Chief of the LAPD, Michael Burkow, the number two under police chief Bill Bratton, was working with Chuck Phillips, feeding him information about Phil's investigation and his operation. Let me put this into perspective. The LA Times and the upper management of the LAPD were not only in bed, but decided it was okay to print false stories. My bosses were having a hard time accepting that. It's hard for you to accept that somebody that is at your level, that's probably got 20, 25 years in, and it's a high level chief, would do something like this when you've got this strong working relationship you know, between LAPD and the FBI. After Psycho Mike's real name, Michael Robinson, got put in this article, I want to say it was two or three weeks later, his house got shot up with AK-47s and his daughter and granddaughter were at the house. The granddaughter got hit. The FBI, we had to relocate Psycho Mike and his family to another city. There's nothing worse than, first of all, leaking information But it's at a whole nother level when you're leaking information on another agency that you have a working relationship with, and then you decide to out one of their sources. I mean, you want to talk about hitting all the major food groups of what not to do? That's what happened. It wasn't enough for the LAPD to confine the cover-up inside the blue wall of silence. They needed to confuse the public, lie to the public, and create articles they knew 
would discredit anyone that knew the truth. Russell Poole, Phil Carson, they were both discredited. The LAPD stopped at nothing to hide the truth. The editors of the LA Times to this day have never retracted these stories. Finally say, you know what? I'm going to call Chuck Phillips just to say, quit fucking talking to me. I never want to see your face again. So I call Chuck up. He goes, Phil, I need you to come to my office. I need to show you something. It'll explain everything. He goes, you got to trust me on this. He starts pulling out all these photos. And there's all these photographs of the night of the Peterson shooting of Biggie. And it's all these these what I can tell are police officers in, not in police uniforms, but they're in suits. And this made me think going back in, in the times that I talked with Big Gene back in New York, who was Puffy's bodyguard. Um, you know, Big Gene told me, he goes, Phil, I know a cop when I see a cop. He played me four or five tape recordings. All right. So life doesn't happen biweekly. So why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck. Then access up to 100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So maybe you need to get your kids something special or you and the wife need a scintillating night out every once in a while at least. So download Earn In Today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in the dossier under podcast. Earn In is a financial technology company, not a bank. Subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com forward slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. That, that he had done... Between him when and talk when he was talking on the phone with Deputy Chief Burko, that Burko didn't know about. They are on cassette tapes and he plays them for me. And it's Burko basically telling Chuck Phillips, you need to ruin Phil Carson. You need to ruin this case. You need to make this case go away. Because if Agent Carson were to ever testify, we're fucked. We're fucked. We're fucked. And he played like three or four of these phone conversations for me. I I was in shock, to be honest with you. I yeah. didn't know how to react. And he wanted to show me some stuff. And I was so pissed off and just so stunned and not knowing how to react. I just said, I'm out of here. I got to go. I got to go. The money. They always say, follow the money. The LAPD knows that if Phil Carson is successful in his FBI investigation, that two things could happen. David Mack, Rafael Perez and Amir Muhammad could be charged with the murder of Biggie. The second thing, and the only reason everyone went to great lengths to cover up all of this information, 
is that Phil's evidence allows Miss Wallace to win hundreds of millions of dollars suing the city of Los Angeles. Evidently, there are information that's not being followed. There are leads that's not being followed. I mean, if you get uh, a lead, it doesn't matter how minuscule it is. This is a murder. You should follow it up. The next piece of audio you're about to hear is under federal seal. It was evidence that was brought before a federal judge when Biggie's mom, Valletta Wallace, sued the city and the LAPD. This audio has never appeared in any news article or any documentary film. In the audio, Rob Frank, the lawyer for Valletta Wallace, is questioning an inmate named Mario Hammonds. This deposition is taking place at San Quentin State Prison in San Quentin, California. The case name is the estate of Christopher Wallace, the city of Los Angeles. The deponent is Mr. Mario Hammonds. Sir, would you state your name? It was Mario Hammonds. Are you currently incarcerated, sir? Uh, Yes, I'm incarcerated here in San Quentin. I don't know why, but I'm here because basically they don't have anything to do with me, so I I don't know why I'm here. During one of your periods of incarceration, did you have occasion to associate with with Suge, Marion Knight? Yes, I did. Mr. Hammonds, did there come a time in your life where you began to assist law enforcement? Yes. Uh, My recollection uh, seems to escape me right now, but I have assisted different agencies uh, that have hired me as an agent provocateur. I've assisted the Secret Service, the FBI, SSU, Los Angeles Police Department. Is one of the things you assisted the Los Angeles Police Department on the investigation into the murder of Mr. Christopher Wallace? Yes, sir. And how did you come to know Tupac Shakur? Uh, I met Tupac here in the Bay Area in Oakland in the early, late 80s when he was with Digital Underground. And then once he got associated with Suge, we reacquainted ourselves in the 90s, started uh, doing some things together. We was partners. Through your relationships in the music industry and your relationships with Mr. Shakur, did you come to know uh, Marion Knight? Yes, I, I met Marion Knight through Tupac. I had asked you to describe your relationship with Mr. Knight, okay? If in describing that relationship with Mr. Knight, you need to go into these details, to fully and accurately answer it, then do so. Okay. Well, as I was saying, uh, Mr. Knight, myself, Tupac, we party with, you know, with females, drugs, liquor, marijuana. On some of these occasions, uh, Suge made some suggestions because he knew my criminal background. He knew uh, the people who I used to associate with in Oakland. He was familiar with them. and He felt that... Uh, he could ask me certain things. I have Tupac to ask me certain things. And what were those certain things? This was one night he asked Tupac to leave the room. And man, it was talking. He said, yeah, you from up north, right, man? Uh, you fuck with Felix and them up there, right? You put in a lot of work. I said, yeah. I said, but uh, then he mentioned Christopher Wallace, Biggie Small. And he said, you know that fat punk is giving me a lot of lip and a lot of shit on the East Coast. 
that you can handle it. My meaning handling, meaning can you arrange or assassinate Christopher Wallace, Biggie Small? I told him no. And that was it. And then he said, oh, I thought you was hard, man. I thought you, you know, and that was it. In this audio, Mario Hammond states a few things that we need to pay attention to. He established through his relationship with Tupac, he started to hang around Suge Knight and his associates. In this exchange, Mario says that Suge asked him if he worked with Felix Mitchell in Oakland. Felix Mitchell is hands down one of the most notorious drug kingpins. His exploits are legendary. If Suge knew Mario was working with Felix, he would have thought that he could trust him. Or maybe in his mind, Mario Hammonds had street cred. Felix the Cat Mitchell created one of the biggest criminal organizations in Oakland's history. As the leader of a heroin empire, Mitchell was Oakland's first large-scale drug kingpin. He threw lavish parties, bought expensive cars and jewelry, and he did it all before his 21st birthday. In that 94 to 1996 time frame, in all of your dealings and associates with Tupac Shakur or Suge Knight or other artists or, or associates of Death Row Records, did they at any time express any type of animosity toward either Mr. Wallace or Mr. Sean Combs? Suge Knight did. And what it was did personal. He took it personal, but now I'm, I'm speaking after the fact, once we was incarcerated together, and I'll wait till, you, till we get to that. But right now, then, it was like a personal thing. When we talked about it, it was, you know, uh, I, need, I need this done, like, so. And Tupac told me don't pay him no attention because he had plans to leave and come back to Oakland and start his own thing. Have you ever met a Los Angeles police officer named David Matthews? Yes, I have. Is there a time frame during which you met Mr. Matthews? And the same time frame from 93 to 96. Uh, I met him in Vegas once. And I met him on a video shoot in uh, Los Angeles. I think it was in the Crenshaw District at the, the Marla Gibbs Theater place where they film at, right off of Lamarck. Uh, we was doing something over there. I can't remember what it was, but I actually met him. In what circumstance did you meet him? I met him at the club in the party circumstance and at the one a video shoot in Los Angeles. When you refer to the club, what club? 662 Club in Vegas. Was at the time Mr. Mack with other death row associated persons? Yes. Yes, he was. This is a key piece of information that connects Suge Knight to David Mack. How would you know that he was with those folks? Uh, Snoop, Daz, Corrupt. Uh, and we was in the VIP section of the club. Matter of fact, one night Suge closed the club down and told everybody. He made most of the guys leave, kept all the women. He said the drinks and everybody, everything was on the house. He locked the door and said... All right, we're going to party. Ain't nobody leaving. You know, it was just like, it was off the hook. And he was there. But, he, you know, we had a little separate rooms and stuff where we all took our girls. What, you know, 
a little drugs and did our little thing. So I don't know what he did and what anybody, I know what I did and what me and Tupac did. Mr. Hammonds, have you seen this photograph before? Yes, I have. And I'm referring to the photograph labeled as Exhibit 2. Yes. Is it fair, sir, that uh, you and I discussed this photograph prior to your deposition? Yes. Uh, this person right here is uh, was a sometime bodyguard, Rafael Perez. This is uh, David Mack. I can't remember this cat's name right here. Okay. Did this you see one. that person before? Yes, I've seen him before, but I don't remember his name. Did David Mack, to your knowledge, ever appear to be performing either bodyguard services or, or any type of security work for death row? Yes, he, he, he was, because at the club, Shug said, if I had any problems, go to him, Tupac. And Shug said, go to this other guy in the red. Because there were some unfriendlies in the club that got locked in that night in the club. So, uh, so I'm making an assumption that he was part of the security or whatever. It's just like us. We have guys do our dirty work to protect us up here up north. Yeah, you'd indicated that you had also seen Mr. Mack at a, a video shooting. Was that a video shooting that was in any way associated with a death row artist? Yes, uh, it, was one of, it was one of Tupac's videos, I think, uh, with Jodeci or someone else. Jodeci. Based upon what you observed of Mr. Mack during that video shoot, did he appear to be there in a role of security or was he there in another role? He appeared to be there in a shot caller position, what we call in control. Okay, what is a shot caller position? In control. Uh, okay, let's, 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 I'll make it more uh, plainer. A vice journey in absent of Shug Knight. Okay. Meaning, vice journey meaning in absent of. Can you describe to me the conduct that you observed that led you to believe that? Uh, people going to him, asking him questions. I'm a Tupac telling me, man, you know, let him know if you see somebody that's, that's not a friendly, when we say by friendly, mean a, a foe or enemy, and you know, make sure you let him know. Have you seen that picture before you and I discussed it? Uh, yeah. And how did you come to see that photograph previously? I seen that photograph in L.A. Uh, years ago, and the FBI showed me that photograph. And did the FBI ask you to identify any person in the photograph? Yes. And did you do so? Yes, I did. And did the identification of the persons within the photograph that you gave to the FBI differ in any way from the identifications that you've made of that photograph today? No. Have you ever provided photographs to any law enforcement agency uh, relating to your attendance at any death row function? I supplied photos of me, Tupac, Tupac, Shug, Shug, Amir Muhammad, Amir Muhammad, David Mack. David Mack, Snoop Dogg, Daz Dillinger, Corrupt, and numerous of other people that was at parties in L.A. and Vegas that we I had took, and I gave them to an FBI agent because I was enlisted as an agent provocateur. Once the FBI found out that I knew and I started hanging out with Tupac and them, they enlisted me and uh, financed my trips to where I was renting Rolls Royces from Beverly Hills and staying in the, the nice hotels to go along with the image that they wanted me to have when associating with these people. I need to stop this and make sure that you heard this testimony. Mario Hammond stated very clearly that he provided the FBI photographs of Tupac, Suge, Amir Muhammad, David Mack, 
Snoop Dogg, and Corrupt. Another connection that Mac, Perez, and Amir Muhammad did have a relationship with Suge and Death Row Records. Mario called Mac a shot caller, someone who was in charge. This is the first time you have heard a connection between Suge, Mac, Perez, and the alleged trigger man, Amir Muhammad. Keep in mind that Mario Hammonds was a trusted career informant. He worked for the Secret Service, he worked for the LAPD, and he worked for the FBI. Do you know who Amir Muhammad is? Yes. And who is Amir Muhammad? Amir Muhammad is a Muslim brother of mine. Okay. And how did you meet Mr. Muhammad? In in L.A., in Las Vegas. And was Mr. Muhammad with David Mack at that time? Yes. And is that how you know who Mr. Muhammad is? That's the only way I know. That is the only way I know. That is the only way I know. Next time on The Dossier. After the murder of Mr. Wallace, did Mr. Knight make any statements to you regarding the murder of Mr. Wallace? Yes, he made several and numerous statements uh, all the time that we were there in CMC. And he said, my people handled their business and they took care of it when you could have made that money up north. You guys could have did that. But my people did it and he explained to me because he had entrusted me. And he said that, yeah, they took care of business and he took it like a big fat bitch. And he started laughing. And he said, we just missed Puffy, Sean Combs, because he explained to me that this wasn't a Tupac issue. This was a Biggie and Sean Combs issue. He hated those two individuals with a passion. 